Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field West. The Packers on Sunday Night Football, they blow out the Minnesota Vikings 37-10. to And in the process, clinch the number one playoff seed for the NFC because the Cowboys had lost earlier in the day. I want to get to the playoff scenarios and and where all that stands a little bit later but for this show and I don't want us to start sounding like a broken record but I think we have to start with what Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are doing I mean how that looked on Sunday night what those two guys are doing is incredible what really struck me on Sunday night was just the way in which they continue to make it look so easy. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers with another 100-plus passer rating in sub-zero temperatures, or sub-zero wind chills, excuse me. And Devontae Adams getting the, uh, the double-digit catches over 100 yards, gets in the end zone again. And uh, um, it, it just it looks too easy, and this game is not that easy. It is not. And the plays that they make, Mike, it, it, Packer fans – are so spoiled when you look at the NFL and just the amount of jaw-dropping plays week to week to week Rodgers, for one, makes on his own, but two, that combination of him and Adams. Yeah. Uh, it's special. You might have those a few times in a season in other NFL cities. Here, it happens literally every Sunday. But I want to take this in a different direction on you too, though, Mike, because we've talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers making a compelling bid for that fourth straight MVP. We talked a lot about Devontae Adams. It would be an absolute travesty if he doesn't actually be a unanimous all-pro. I know last year someone voted for Cole Beasley for some reason, and he wasn't, but that he wasn't actually a unanimous all-50 votes all-pro at receiver. But it was something that Devontae Adams said after the game that really hit home with me. Devontae talked about almost 18 minutes, which for a post-game interview is about as long as it gets for anyone not named Aaron Rodgers or Matt LaFleur. Right. And in the middle of it, when he was talking about some of the things that him and Rodgers have accomplished together, Devontae took that car and hit the off-ramp. And what he said was, it's also about the guys in that locker room and the way that that offense plays together with all 11 parts and the selflessness for guys to understand if we're going to play winning football, this offense in a lot of occasions has to run through Rodgers. It has to run through number 17. Aaron Jones is a guy that in a lot of cities probably is a 250-touch type player. A.J. Jones, I think, can show you week after week after week, this is a guy that can carry the ball 300 times a year, no problem, and he's going to be able to get you production. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has had some huge games, and he's had games like Sunday where it was one catch for three yards. Alan Lazard, the list goes on and on and on. In some places, that could be a problem for people. In Green Bay, they understand what everybody's role is, and they embrace that role. And in this particular case, when you have a generational-type talent like Aaron Rodgers, and you have a guy that could very well go down on that receiver Mount Rushmore here in Green Bay, maybe right alongside Don Hudson and Devontae Adams, you want to ride those horses. And for the Green Bay Packers for the last three seasons, it's led to an incredible amount of winning, and a lot of records as well for those two players. Yeah, I was just blown away. And, and and I I know we see it on a regular basis, but there was something about Sunday night with the conditions, under the lights, uh, you know, the temperatures were in the single digits, the, the, the wind chills were below zero. 
it's it's not supposed to be that simple yeah. and yet the uh the the back shoulder throws the teardrop throws down the, you know down the sideline that you know sort of the drop in the bucket yeah. type of throws i mean it was just it was it felt like it was one after another and they they were running around out there on you know the frozen tundra as though it was a 70 degree day in in september um, you know, in a in a preseason game or something, and and, I, and I'm not disparaging the Minnesota Vikings defense. I know they've had an up and down season and all that, but um, a couple of, a couple of those back shoulder throws were were um, they were absolutely guarded as closely as you could possibly yeah. guard them, and that ball is still fitting into the tightest of windows with Adams snatching it with his hands at absolutely the last possible millisecond to not give away to the defender that the ball is coming. I mean, the timing and the precision of it in those conditions absolutely floored me. And, yeah. and, and again, I don't, I'm sorry if I'm making our show like a, um, a broken record that we talk about this every week, but I think there's something about that particular game Sunday night and what they did and everything that it encompassed that was different and special compared to what we've seen before. Offensively for the Minnesota Vikings, I have a lot of questions. It seemed to me like Minnesota in some regards didn't want to really even be there. That's the way it felt. Yeah. I tip my cap to their defense though, Mike. It's been a much maligned defense this year. That secondary, everybody talks about how they don't have, you know, the horses that they had in the past. You know, Cam Dantzler doesn't play in this game. Right. I actually thought Chris Boyd played a pretty good game. I was watching Harrison you know, Smith basically run laps around the field trying to get on the back end, trying to cover the slot, trying to get over to where Devontae is. And Green Bay in the cat and mouse game they played, specifically in that second quarter, was just incredible to watch. I mean, by and large, Minnesota did a good job against Devontae Adams. And he had 11 catches for 136 yards and a touchdown. But when he got going, man, they had few answers to stop him. Yeah. And, and ultimately yeah. that led to him now being 22 yards shy of Jordy Nelson's franchise record for single-season receiving yards. He broke his own record for single-season catches now at 117. And then suddenly, not that he's going to be challenging you know, the record that he shares with Sterling Sharp for single-season touchdowns, but suddenly this guy that was having an issue getting into the red zone earlier this season now has 10, uh, 11 touchdowns yeah. on the year. Yeah. Uh, Devontae Adams is one of a kind, man, and, and that synergy he has with Aaron Rodgers, it's, it's unlike anything we've seen. Yeah, the numbers that he's putting up this year, and you mentioned the double-digit touchdowns. I believe that's either the fourth or fifth time in his career yeah. that he's reached double-digit touchdowns now. Um, pretty incredible. And with regard to uh, to me, I, and I take nothing away from, from uh, um, you know, from a guy like Jamar Chase in Cincinnati yeah. who's having an absolutely phenomenal yep. rookie year. But the but the two All Pro receivers on the first team in the NFL are Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams. Yes. I just don't see how that goes any other way. And whether you whether it's supposed to be unanimous or not, I guess I, I'm I'm not going to get too hung up on that. But those two guys, though, though you know, yeah. Jamar Chase has had a phenomenal season, and he is he he and Joe Burrow are elevating Cincinnati into that uh, contender conversation in the AFC. But Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams have done it every week, all season long. And I don't think I would have cared as much about the All-Pro if it wouldn't have been just such an egregious thing to have Cole Beasley yes. ran. Which, exactly. by the way, that exactly. vote... No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. That vote that. ended up making Cole Beasley, I think, an All-Pro. I think he was a second-team All-Pro last year because of that vote. Yeah. But be that as it may, 
Chase is an exceptional player. I mean, my goodness, what he did against Kansas City, give that guy credit. But in terms of the receiving position, the receiving position in and of itself, Cup and Adams right now are the gold standard. Yes. The way they can There's run no. the entire route tree, their instincts, their ability to play any of the positions that are involved with the skill position player. I, I, those two guys, watching them work and having a chance in recent weeks to watch Cup more and more, you really see a lot of parallels in their game, and especially in Cup's case, being able to develop that chemistry in year one with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, well, a couple other things to get to here from this big victory for the Green Bay Packers. One is that we had talked about it all week long, the keying on Dalvin Cook and not letting him take control of this football game. And then, lo and behold, we find out on Friday that Kirk Cousins um, goes on the COVID list and the Vikings have to, have to substitute Sean Mannion and, uh, um, you know, hats off to the Packers' defense. Dalvin Cook held to 13 yards on nine carries, also had zero yards on three receptions. So 12 touches and just 13 yards for Cook. And that's a heck of an effort by the Packers' defense. But that unit also just didn't really have to worry about Minnesota's passing game because, because Sean Mannion... Um, gave it everything he had in, on a difficult night in difficult conditions. But that Minnesota passing game, even with Justin Jefferson, but also without Adam Thielen, was just never a threat to, the, no. to this Packers defense. And, and then with them never really getting Dalvin Cook going, um, it, the, the whole game just became a foregone conclusion. And I, I have a lot of respect for what Matt LaFleur and, and Joe Barry did in this game because they didn't disrespect Minnesota's offense. They did – If you, you always say every week, like fans always like to ask in the inside inbox, hey, is this a trap game? Are, are they overlooking this opponent? The Green Bay Packers respected the Vikings for everything they could be with or without Kirk Cousins on the field. But by doing that, they also didn't get outside themselves, and they just kind of dominated an opponent they should dominate in the yeah. fashion that was actually, you know, that, that corresponded to the performance. You, you didn't see them cheating guys up. You didn't see them just running base packages in the entire game. They incorporated the dime. The situations that called for specific packages, they ran those packages, and they asked their guys to execute. I actually think this is a really important game for Green Bay from a defensive standpoint, because I thought it allowed them to get in and out of their base nickel, penny, and dime packages with more fluidity. That was where we'd seen some of the issues with the communication in recent yeah. weeks. That was the most unified that dime seemed this year with Kevin King in that role. There was even the one where they kind of had King mugging up front uh, with, yeah. with uh, you know, Devondre Campbell, you know, teasing a blitz, you know, kind of more true, you know, nickel-type looks. The, the Green Bay Packers have a really talented defense, and as we'll probably talk about at some point, they could potentially be getting reinforcements back here for the postseason. But I just felt like they kind of needed to get their swagger back a little bit, and this was the game to do it. The fact that Delvin Cook only carried the ball nine times, it is what it is. That's the game plan that they went with. But the fact they only gave up 13 yards on those carries and not giving him extra additional room to breathe, that was my main takeaway from this game. The Packers won up front and they dominated. Yeah, I think the point that you made with regard to the changing of the personnel packages and the communication and everything being smoothed out, we saw some issues with that, with the Packers' yeah. defense in recent weeks. And that did seem to get straightened out. I went through the defensive film, my What You Might Have Missed segment. I actually I focused on uh, on the coverage of Eric Stokes because it really was impressive what he was doing. He was he certainly got his share of, of Justin Jefferson in this game. And Stokes is playing uh, is playing some really really good football for the Packers right now. But with regard to the communication, 
There was one play I saw, I think it was when the Vikings were in the red zone or close to the red zone or something, and and um, Channon Sullivan got kind of mixed up where he was on the wrong side yeah. and the tight end was on the, the other side and he and he had yeah, and he yeah. had to, you know, chase a guy. But other than that one other than that one instance, it felt like it felt like everything the Packers wanted to do on offense was it was implemented yep. and it was executed smoothly, and that's what you like to see with where this team is heading into the postseason. And I'm so glad you brought that up because what also stood out to me is, okay, after the play happened, they get the guy down. Watching the defense come back together, watching Chandon and Rasul come back together, kind of tap each other on the helmet and get on to the next one, Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway from that is that, yeah, that was you, you let what you, you, you gave one up there. Yeah, but they found a way to rally back. That's a really, really salient point. Yeah, the the other thing we saw that will be very interesting to monitor here going forward is a, a very under the radar signing. The Packers pick up David Moore. They signed him to the practice squad. He'd been released from the Broncos practice squad. He's a wide receiver just a couple of months earlier. Packers bring him in, sign him to the practice squad, elevate him for game day yeah. with Amari Rogers on the COVID list. And all of a sudden, bang, this guy. Well, first, it looked like he had drawn a penalty for, yeah. for you know, interference, of, uh, interference to catch a punt. The officials picked up that flag, and I still don't understand why they did. But then later on, he returns a punt 21 yards, which becomes the Packers' longest punt return of the season. 15 yards get tacked on for a late hit out of bounds. Suddenly it looks like, you know, do the the Packers here have their, you know, the 2019 Tyler Irvin, this this late addition to the special teams in, in David Moore to, to, to help out here? It looks like he could make an impact. I'll tell you what, a couple things here. One, uh, I was driving into work today. I was talking to my friend Scott Vency, my former co-worker at the Press Gazette. I know him well. And we got talking about the game a little bit, and I just casually brought up David Moore, and Scott goes, Wait, the, the Seahawk? The, the guy that was with the Seahawks? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, since when does he play for the Packers? I was like, well, since Thursday. Since Thursday, yeah. And the, the, <laughs> I mean, that's the season. That's yeah. the way this thing's gone. Yep. Aaron Rodgers even mentioned in this post-game interview, he met more on the sideline. And he's like, yeah, he had a nice, kick re- a nice punt return for us. 21 yards that also doubled uh, as both the Green Bay Packers' longest punt return of the season and the longest that Moore's had in his career. Listen, Mike. I almost I almost equated him. It was sort of like the Pepno Bismol a little bit of the, the the punt return game there. He just seemed to really alleviate you know some of those issues. I mean, there just was a lot more comfort with him back there, and it was just one performance. He's got to you know be able to string this together. But what have you and I and everyone, coaches, fans, everybody's talked about this? They just needed more consistency from their special teams. And with Moore, he didn't dance under the ball. He tracked it well. He didn't seem to be panicky under pressure. I give the Jammers a lot of credit. They gave him some room to yes. which to work. He did have he did have some room to work. It was by far well, it was by far the best punt return performance of the season, and it put him up there for one of the best special teams outings of the year. Mason Crosby, five t- touchbacks, four extra points three field goals, they found ways to be consistent. And that's all they're asking for them here. They're not asking for Devin Hester. They're asking to get the ball back to Aaron Rodgers with as favorable field position as possible. And they did their job on Sunday night. Yeah. One rough punt from Bojo. um, And then also a a shaky hold on that first field goal, but he recovered, got it down. Mason was able to make the kick, but we're definitely seeing 
definitely seeing some uh, some progress there on special teams. Uh, before I forget, Wes, I'll take care of our sponsor business here. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7. 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right. The Packers clinched the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. The Cowboys had lost to the Cardinals earlier on Sunday afternoon. So the Packers took the field on Sunday night. They took care of business. They have the one seed, which comes with it. The first round by home field advantage, everything that the Packers also had last year. But there's still one regular season game left to play. So there are a lot of questions now. How, how do the Packers go about this game in Detroit in week 18 where the win or the loss doesn't impact your, obviously, your, your playoff implications at all? And Matt LaFleur said, suggested on Sunday night, reiterated on Monday, they're going to prep and play the starters in this game. He does not want to to give healthy players a week off now and then have the playoff by and essentially then set up a scenario where from the Minnesota game to the divisional playoff game, it's, it's three weeks yeah. essentially between games. That being said, it doesn't sound like the starters are necessarily going to play the entire game in Detroit. So there is a little bit of a, a treat this like a preseason game kind of thing in a way, the way it's sounding at least right now early in the week. Um, and, and the other factor that's going on here too, as you had alluded to before, is some of these injured guys, whether we're talking about David Bakhtiari, Jair Alexander, um, Randall Cobb, yeah. are, these guys going, are these guys going to be back for the playoffs, would they potentially play against the Lions to get their feet wet, so to speak? It's maybe not as big an issue for Cobb because he's only been out like a month or a little over a month, but um, obviously Alexander's been out since week four. Bakhtiari has not played yet this season. We don't know how this is going to go, but there's a lot to consider. There's sort of, there's sort of, a, lot of a lot of balls being juggled yeah. in the air, so to speak, by Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff and the medical staff to figure out the best approach here between now and when the Packers will play that divisional playoff game in a few weeks. Yeah, and, and I don't know anything about anything as it relates to the injury front. Obviously, Matt LaFleur has played it pretty close to the vest here, especially in the last two weeks. But I'll say this, I mean, the way that Aaron Rodgers was speaking about Randall Cobb, one, obviously it appears that Cobb is pretty close to returning. Rodgers even said, you know, if that would have been a playoff-type game, he maybe would have even been back out there. What that really tells me, though, and this is the biggest thing, is that core injury, obviously it wasn't too significant. And what we've learned more and more with these core muscle injuries, a lot of times, Mike, it's almost kind of like an MCL in some regards where you just got to kind of go in there, get the thing stitched up, and just work your way back. So, obviously, Cobb being able to at least be cleared to be back on the field one month after that to be able to return to practice in a padded session last Thursday, a very big positive for him. The other three, it's going to be really interesting. Um, and Josh Myers certainly trying to come back from that knee injury as well. We'll, we'll see where things are at with him. He's actually been in the rehab group now the last few weeks. But Jerry Alexander's practicing. David Bakhtiari was not practicing last week. We'll see if he practices this week. And then, obviously, Zadarius Smith. I know there was some stuff said about him being back in town. We'll see what happens there. The way I look at this is the Green Bay Packers have made themselves the top seed in the NFC, the top dog, the team that is, should be favored to represent this conference in the Super Bowl 
without a five-time All-Pro left tackle, without an All-Pro cornerback, and and certainly um, when you look at what happened with Elton Jenkins yeah. and and all these other guys they've lost along the way, Bobby Tunyon, Robert Tunyon, incredible. I mean, they they still managed to overcome it and put themselves in this position. If you get back as a Darius Smith and he can give you 15 snaps in an NFC Championship game or 15 snaps in a Super Bowl, what a boost that could give you. If you can get back Jair Alexander for a playoff run, if you can get back David Bakhtiari and he's ready and, and, that, and the medical staff feels good about that knee, Rodgers equated it to 2013. And when him and Randall Cobb both came back for that regular season finale against Chicago. Yeah, yeah, they'd both been out for a couple months at that Cobb point. Cobb breaks his freaking leg. Yeah, you know, in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Rodgers dealing with the collarbone. Two months of questions about when he would be back. Both of those guys get back, and he said you could see the jolt it gave the team because it's like, hey, we, got, we can do this. We yeah. can win this game. We can go to the Super Bowl for crying out loud. Yeah. This team at 13 wins could be 14. We'll see what happens. doesn't really matter. Th- th- there's, there's some energy here, and especially if you get those type of all-pro type players back down the stretch, there's no better way to make a Super Bowl run. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be it's a storyline that's going to be monitored not only this week but during the playoff buy and then leading up to uh, to that divisional game. What's going on with these guys who have been on the injured list and been out? Also, been some more guys added to the COVID list. David Moore, who we were just talking about, yeah. uh, the return man being one of them. Of course, now you know with all, with all the changes of the rules, guys can come back from that so much quicker. So um, hopefully they're healthy and feeling well, and and uh, and they'll get they'll get cleared, much like many of their teammates did um, over this past week. One other thing I want to talk about before we go, um, just with regard to where things sit in uh, in the NFC playoff picture. First off. There's only one playoff spot available, yep. um, and that essentially comes down to either the 49ers or the Saints. The 49ers are playing the Rams. If the 49ers win, they are in as a wild card. If they lose, if the Rams win that game, then the Saints can get in to can get that last playoff spot by getting a victory in their final game. What's really interesting about this, though, is that is that if the 49ers win and get that last spot, that loss, the loss by the Rams in that scenario, really throws the seeding and everything yeah. kind of up for grabs in the in you know seeding the the two through five spots because if the Rams lose, the Cardinals could steal back that NFC West division title and drop the Rams all the way to the five seed. Yeah. Whereas right now, if the Rams win they get the two seed and they are they are the one that is right behind green bay so between between the rams the cowboys the buccaneers and the cardinals everything with regard to who's going to be in the two through five slots is very much up in the air well this is what i love and mike you and i were talking about it for weeks this is why i felt like the buy was the biggest reason you want to get it this particular year yes you want to have home field advantage yes you want to be able to play in lambeau field aaron Rodgers has pontificated quite a bit on what that value is when it's 20 degrees out and teams don't want to be here but it really also comes down in my respect to I don't know if you really want to face the Philadelphia Eagles right now. I don't know if you really want to face the San Francisco 49ers. Some of these teams, the way they've kind of come on, they didn't make division title type runs, but they're bona fide. I mean, they actually are playoff caliber teams that can beat top teams. No question. I have about real it. questions about how many consecutive games the 49ers, Eagles, you know, in some regards, the Cardinals can win. Right. 
But they can knock off anybody in that wild card round. Yep. So th- that's where I think this thing gets really dangerous. I don't think there's anyone truly limping in right now at this stage. I think you got a lot of teams that feel pretty good about their chances in a wide open bracket. The, yeah. the AFC, a five win team or five loss team, is going to be the number one seed. I mean, it is incredible the way that this thing is sorted out. Yeah, and. I'm sure I, I know you're thrilled about this. I just have to point out that for all of our consternation previously, there will not be an eight and nine oh, yeah. sub five hundred team Thank God. in the playoffs. Thank God we have fourteen <laughs> teams in the playoffs. And, 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 so and, and there's no losers. At at wor- at worst at worst nine and eight. Um at worst nine and eight will be uh, uh will will be a playoff team and and very possible that all the teams in the playoffs this year could have ten wins just just yeah. saying. Yep. Just saying. What? No, no, no. And that's that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm joking with you because because I know I'm trying I'm trying to get you riled up. Here's about, what I can't figure out yet. about all this 18 week and extra team in the playoffs. Yeah, thing. But anyway, we're we're awesome. running short on time, so we'll let it go for today. <laughs> we'll let it go. I got I got one <laughs> final thing I want to <laughs> okay, say. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm just curious what you think about this, and then we'll we'll let Marv go to lunch. Um. <laughs> so, okay. So do you think I'm gonna be upset when a seven? seed ends up winning this more upset about the seven seed winning a super bowl or more upset about the seven seed actually being in the playoffs at some point when there inevitably will be a, a seven and 10 or an eight, and nine team in the playoffs. I, I, I think, I mean, honestly, for me, for me, it comes down to the fact that, that in this league that say a team, whether you're talking seven, 10 or eight and nine and they, and they squeak in as yeah. a seven seed that that team, that that team could, because anything can happen any given week, as we know, that that team could knock off a 13-4 and four two seed yep. that just has a bad yep. day, like in the first round, when in the previous system that 13-win two seed has a bye and doesn't yep. have to, doesn't have to play a team like that. That's where, to me, um, you know, things, will get, things will get kind of annoying, frankly. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, we've seen you know, in the NHL you know, these eight seeds – you know, knock off the one seed. Well, there, there is something that doesn't feel quite right about that. But at the same time, that's a best of seven best series of seven. in those in those sports, yep. right? In the NFL, in football, it's it's a it's a one shot deal. And and uh, I mean, we'll see. Your point, though, I agree with you that that the way the San Francisco 49ers are playing now, they have a very tough game to try yep. to beat the Rams and yep. get into the playoffs. But the way the Niners are playing. The way the Eagles are playing, especially the way the Eagles are running the football, you know, a ground game travels in the playoffs. Yep. I don't care where you play. I don't care wh- how hostile the environment is when you're a road team. Those types of things, you know, it, it, will, it will make for, I think, a very interesting wild card weekend in the NFC, even if you're going to have, you know, nine and ten win teams going up against, yeah. you know, these uh, 12 and 13 win teams it's definitely going to be it's definitely going to be an anything can happen type of weekend yeah and the eagles are really fun i i would like to see them beat somebody though like that's the thing i mean their, their strength of victory this year isn't great i mean right. they've, they've beaten teams they've had to beat to be in this position so but right. but yeah again with their with their run defense the way that they're they're running the ball offensively and jalen hurts doing what he's doing it's gonna be a difficult yeah. team to out yeah well we'll be able to talk a lot more about that next week as well and we'll have another show on thursday to yep. preview the game coming up against the lions but for now, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team all week long. We've got everything for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.